MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, April 9th, 2020. Today, the hospitalization rate in New York is down, but there's still a hefty dose of caution. Bernie Sanders suspends his campaign but stays on the primary ballots. Loeffler says her husband will liquidate their stocks. Obama plans to come off the sidelines. Cuomo announces all New Yorkers will be able to vote absentee in the June 23rd primaries, and the coronavirus is infecting and killing African Americans at an alarmingly high rate. I'm your host, AG, and today I'll be joined by Jordan Coburn and Glenn Kirshner. Oh, hey, everybody. It is so good to t- good to speak to you. It's so good to speak to you. I just got off the phone with Jordan. We have a good news block at the end of the segment. I think you'll or at the end of the show, I think you'll really love. I spoke to Glenn Kirshner earlier today. We talked about a lot of uh, different things, including um, the Loeffler and Burr insider trading, uh, you know, uh, thing that, that possibly happened when they, you know, got their January 24th congressional you know, uh, uh, briefing on the coronavirus and then dumped all their hotel tech oil and travel stocks and bought a bunch of, you know, uh, telework, software, Citrix and uh, medical gear, equipment stock, that that whole thing. Um, you know, I speak to him about that. He's a former federal prosecutor. So I had some questions about the feasibility of charging them with with crimes. And then also uh, a follow up on the conversation I had with Frank Faglusi, uh yesterday about um, negligent homicide and and the, the feasibility of charging the president with that as well. So you want to stick around for that. Also, this Friday, we're going to do our cocktail quarantine meet and greet live Q&A answering session thing. Uh, still coming up with a name for that. Uh, maybe I'll just call it like Bob or something so that we all know what we're, what we're talking about. But this week's theme, last week's theme was pajama jammy jam. This week's theme is cocktail attire. So we're all going to get uh, dressed up. You don't have to, but we're all going to, if you want, uh, get fancy. I, I I just talked to Jordan. Jordan's going to wear like some crazy sequined super dress. So I'm going to look around to see. Maybe I have I have an opera gown here. I've got a ball gown. Maybe I'll get super formal. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But it's going to be fun. So if you're a patron, join us for that. And uh, we want to thank also Amanda Reeder and um, Joelle and Kanai Williams and the rest of our staff for continuing to work hard um, through through this pandemic and while sheltering in place. Thank you so much to to all the the staff here at the Muller She Wrote slash Daily Beans, um, you know, community. I appreciate it. And I appreciate all of you. So we do have a lot of news to get to today, though. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So we have kind of a mix of good and bad news today. And this is, I think, probably going to continue on through the next couple of weeks because there is a two week lag in it's, you know, kind of like how the light you see from stars is from uh, billions of years ago uh, or millions of years ago, in some cases, billions. Anyway, the effects of what's happening right now, we're going to see in two weeks and the stuff that happened two weeks ago, we're seeing the effects right now. So there is a two week lag. So there's going to be a mix of good news and bad news. Um, First, uh, let's let's cover the numbers. Let me pull these up real quick. Um, I want to start doing this daily. Where is my map? There it is. And as of right now, it's 5 p.m. ish Pacific time on April 8th. 
we have globally 88,300 deaths, total recovered 328,000, and we have surpassed the 1.5 million mark of total confirmed cases globally. We're at 1,511,000, uh, 1, give or take. And the U.S. now has 429,000 confirmed cases uh, of COVID-19. Um, number two is Spain with 148,000. We are at 14,695 deaths. We could hit 15,000 by the end of the day. And 23,559 have recovered. And interestingly, though, Dr. Burke said yesterday that there's over a million test kits sitting untested. And so we could have quite a few more cases um, than, than what's being reported. So that's interest, That's important to keep in mind. The data that we're working with aren't really the most accurate, but it's, you know, it's the best that we have. So I just wanted to give you those numbers. And Cuomo said today in his briefing that the numbers are starting to flatten in New York and the hospitalization rate is down. So that's the mix of good news. But he does caution, you know, you could have four or five days of a slow in the increase of cases and then the next day, bam, it could be back up. He says, quote, so I'm not going to say that any of this is over or anything has been accomplished. This is just a small snapshot in time. And it's, it's important to remember that. And Bill de Blasio has told reporters in New York that uh, they're good on ventilators for two for the next two weeks. Um, so that's some more good news that um, that and I have to say that is no thanks to this administration. We need to credit other governors of other states for, and and Cuomo for pitching in, working together and sending functioning ventilators to New York and coordinating that. Uh, that effort. Um, the state hit another highest single day total in New York of number of deaths with 779 on Tuesday. Again, mixed news. That's a bad, that's the bad part. Cuomo said we must not relent. We must continue to stay at home. Uh, and this is happening while Trump continues to tweet, we're going to open for business. We're going to reopen the country. I'd love it to do it all at once. The economy will go boom. It'll be amazing. Um, but there are other things to consider when we do, quote unquote, reopen the country. First of all, I don't I don't think and Dr. Fauci says it can't be all at once like a flipping a switch. Um, but I think it's important. And Obama tweeted about this, too. We need to have testing and tracing in place before we even think about lifting any of, of, of these measures of these stay at home orders. We can't just go back to how things were or we risk a second and more deadly wave. The flu pandemic of 2018 killed the majority of its victims in the second wave. So until we're all inoculated and we know you can't be reinfected. And we have tested and approved treatments, and we put in place some practices such as temperature readings for public gathering spaces, heat maps, uh, maybe fever clinics. And until we have a pandemic task force and replenish our national stockpiles uh, and, and, and have a testing program that's, that's up and running, um, you know, we can't just return to business as usual. We will be forever changed by this. And that's a big part of how we go about um, a 9-11 style commission that that um uh the house is is calling for and that and and you know there that part of this 911 style commission isn't to go after criminal charges uh against the administration this is to determine what was done what wasn't done and how to prevent it from happening again that just like the 911 commission um again that is aside from any criminal investigation that could or should be conducted by congress and lawmakers after we elect Joe Biden in November and put a real attorney general in place, or at least that's the hope, right? And I talked to Glenn Kirshner a little bit about that later. Some of the numbers we're seeing today, uh, Michigan has lost, or Michigan, excuse me, has about 6,000 cases and at least 240 deaths. 
almost 40% being African-American. Louisiana is uh, hit hard. They have 652 total deaths, almost 2,000 hospitalized, and 70% of the deaths there are African-American. I'll be going over the, uh, th- that issue um, in the next block. Dr. Burks has said, has warned, um, saying that D.C., Baltimore, and Philadelphia could be new hotspots. Um, again, that has to do with that two-week lag. And in Chicago, preparations are underway after a surge of deaths there. Cook County has acquired a refrigerated warehouse that can store 1,500 bodies. And nearly 70% of deaths in Chicago are African-American. But there are some bright spots. First, Dr. Fauci has said, thanks to our sheltering in place, we could avoid the 100,000 deaths model that was predicted earlier. New models, a redoing of the model, is now showing 60 to 80,000 deaths based on our efforts, our efforts uh, as Americans. Despite Trump's light at the end of the tunnel shit and wanting to open the country up all at once and flipping a switch, which, again, like I said, Dr. Fauci has warned against, Trump's approval rating for his handling of the coronavirus has dropped again. It went from 53% approval three weeks ago to 47% last week to 41% this week, and that's according to a new CNN poll. 55% say the government has done a poor job stopping the virus, and his approval rating for his handling of the economy has also tanked. It's now down to 48%. It used to be much higher. Uh, and 46% disapprove his handling of his handling of the economy. Uh, and 60% of Americans are saying the economy is in poor shape. And in other news, another bright spot here, the USS Comfort in New York is now treating a coronavirus patients in, in New York. Originally, that was not the plan because of the open bay configuration on the ship and the national security considerations of, of you know, if you if the crew gets it, then we're out of ship, we're out of wartime ship. But the captain said today, uh, this wasn't the original plan, but the bottom line is we came to New York to take care of New Yorkers, and that's what we will do. Uh, They have taken necessary precautions to safeguard the crew, though. There's about 1,000 crew members. They've split the ship into zones. Uh, The captain says the HVAC systems and the way the ship is designed allows for separation between the hospital units and the rest of the ship. They have had one crew member that has tested positive, but that person is doing well. Uh, They're isolated and recovering. They have beds. They have capacity for about 500 COVID patients, potentially, although they have fewer than 80 on board right now, not 80 total, not just COVID patients. Um, They have enough ventilators and PPE to take care of the population, uh, you know, that would come on board. When asked how long the ship would be in harbor in New York City, the captain said they'll be there as long as the mission continues. And the good news is the Navy is making a difference. The captain spoke about a New York hospital that desperately needed a place for 10 vented patients, and the Comfort was able to take those patients the same night and relieve some pressure at the hospital. And with their 500-bed capacity, I think we'll see that happening quite a bit. So that's a little bit of good news. And now for the Daily Trump shit show virus war campaign rally, um, also known as the Daily Task Force Press Briefing. When asked about what testing and monitoring we need to put into place after this, uh, Trump missed the point. Um, this was a question at, uh, you know, because it's come, it's coming up now. Like I said, Obama had tweeted, we have to, we can't just go back to the way things were. We have to put in place a testing and tracing and monitoring, uh, program, uh, from here on out, you know, uh, and, and that has to be in place before we lift this stay at home, uh, quarantine situation. And the reporter was asking about that, you know, what testing and monitoring solutions are you developing for, you know, for when when this is over? 
Trump missed the point. He said, "We there's not a problem with tests. Test, we're tests are beautifully. We're testing better than every other country. I won't name names, uh, but the countries, other countries are terrible. We are doing the best job. Everything's awesome. So his ego didn't even allow him to understand the question. And that's really sad. Um, that is a weak, weak man. Um, some reporter asked during the fucking pandemic briefing, uh, quote, one of the biggest ratings hits during the pandemic, besides your briefings, is Tiger King. The man in prison in the show is asking for a pardon from you. Have you seen the show and would you pardon him? Um, that blew my mind. Uh, now, I've watched Tiger King. I've participated in online social media conversations about Tiger King. I'm Team Carol. However, and I know I'll get pushed back on that, uh, but anyway, during a White House coronavirus pandemic press conference brief, almost 15,000 people dead, and uh, this little shitbag from the New York Post says, uh, you know, you have great ratings with these press briefings, but another big rated show is Tiger King, Do you? and he wants a pardon. Do you think you'll pardon? And Trump said he'll look at it. He'll take a look. And then called on Jim Acosta. Next, who said, if it's okay, I'd like to bring it back to coronavirus. And then he asked about the new models, predicting 60,000, 61,000 deaths, whereas last week it was 81,000, and before that it was 86,000. So it's dropping. And Burks took the question. Trump said, I'll let Burks handle this. Uh, and Burks got up and said some shit, first of all, that made no sense. She says, if you look at the models, it's the models of the models, and you come up with those numbers. The ACT NOW model and the IHME model have decreased the mortality numbers. If you look at Italy and Spain, these numbers are modeled on what America is doing. I, I couldn't really make any sense of any of that. I think she meant, because we're starting to shelter in place, we're lowering the predicted mortality numbers. And I'm glad she credited Americans and not Trump for that. Um, I was waiting for that. And then Dr. Redfield got up um, and he said the downward trajectory of the number of deaths in the models is thanks to the American people. And so I thought that that was good. That could have been bad. That could have been thanks to Trump and his closing of the borders and his, you know, acting fast and his whatever. I mean, they could have been bad. So I'm glad that they, they all agreed that it is the American people that are making the difference. And then Acosta asked a follow-up question about yesterday when Trump said he had not seen the Navarro memo in January. He asked if he was briefed on the memo. He said he hadn't seen it, but was he briefed on it? And Trump said he didn't see the memo. And then he started slamming the World Health Organization again for some reason and then patted himself on the back for acting quickly and closing the borders. Just, you know, just it's really gross. And the rest of it is irrelevant. Uh, if something else, I had to actually I had to stop watching it to to hop on the phone with Jordan. Um, if anything else relevant uh, came up, you know, you know, I'll let you know tomorrow, but I doubt it. None of none of that shit was relevant either, but I, I couldn't not mention the Tiger King question. I'm so mad about it. Um, but we'll be right back after this quick message with some news about racial disparity and coronavirus. And still to come, I'll speak with Glenn Kirshner about insider trading in Congress. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ritual. Now more than ever, I'm trying to focus on nutrition and health uh, while I'm staying at home, and I want to keep my immune system strong. But even when I really try to, you know, eat nothing but salads and smoothies and, and do really well, I am still not getting all the essential nutrients I need on a daily basis. There are gaps in my diet, no matter how hard I try. And that's why I want to share with you uh, Ritual. It is an obsessively researched vitamin for women. 
Rituals Essentials has the nutrients most of us don't get from food, all in clean, absorbable forms. There's no additives, no shady ingredients, uh, you know, the kind of stuff that can do more harm than good. Just two easy-to-take capsules that provide nine nutrients you need to support a strong foundation for your health. Uh, I started taking Ritual a while ago. I, I'm more energetic. I have more clarity. And, and just mentally, I feel better knowing that I'm actually filling in all the gaps in my diet, getting all the vitamins that I need on a daily basis. Um, and I'm finally taking vitamins daily, and I love Daily Ritual. It, it goes great with the daily beans, right? So Ritual Essential for Women is the ultimate multivitamin. It helps fill in the gaps in your diet. Uh, it's got you know everything from D3 to omega-3. No nausea capsule design. Also, it's gentle on an empty stomach, so you don't have to eat it with food, which is good for me because I'm on the go a lot. And there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep it fresh so you don't have that fishy aftertaste. Um, it's This is amazing, the, the, um, the quality of ingredients. It's vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free. And it's delivered directly to you. And a subscription is easy to start as well, and it's easy to snooze. And it's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs delivered every month. No strings attached. Uh, Better health doesn't happen overnight. Right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during your first three months. So fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women. It's a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit Ritual.com slash Daily Beans to start your Ritual today. That's 10% off your first three months at Ritual.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, All right. So a few minutes ago, I had mentioned the high percentages of African-Americans impacted by coronavirus in multiple different cities. And uh, The Washington Post is reporting that emerging racial disparity has prompted the Surgeon General to acknowledge the increased risk for African-Americans on Tuesday. And this comes amidst growing demands for public health officials to release more data on the race of those who are sick, hospitalized and dying. A Washington Post analysis of available data and census demographics shows that counties that are majority black have three times the rate of infections and almost six times the rate of deaths, six times. Uh, And, you know, as counterparts where white residents, uh, counties where white residents are in the majority. For example, in Milwaukee, 73 percent of deaths are African-American. In Louisiana, um, 70 uh, percent. In D.C., it's 58 percent, 67 percent in Chicago. And those are just to name a few. A week ago, I tweeted my concern over the potential disenfranchisement of people of color when triaging who gets ventilators and who doesn't when hospital ICU beds are full. Uh, because, you know, a Harvard doctor you know, said it's going to be a point system and people who have comorbidities or are less likely to have you know, quality years ahead of them and, and are older will lose out to people who are younger and, and have more years ahead of them and, and fewer comorbidities. And African-Americans, I tweeted, would be disproportionately impacted because of pre-existing conditions brought on by decades of systematic racism. One example being a lack of access to health care. Um, we tie health care to employment and the, you know, the impact employment discrimination and disproportionate incarceration has on black communities is undeniable. And there's also medical discrimination, socioeconomic impacts. There's just myriad var- variables at play here. Um, elected officials and public health experts have pointed to generations of discrimination and distrust between black communities and the healthcare system. African-Americans are also more likely to be uninsured and live in communities with inadequate healthcare facilities. And as a result, African-Americans have historically been disproportionately diagnosed with chronic diseases such as asthma, hypertension, and diabetes, all underlying conditions that experts say make COVID-19 more lethal. For example, African-Americans' higher rates of diabetes, heart disease, and lung disease are well-documented, and Louisiana Governor um, John Edwards, John Bell Edwards, noted that those health problems make people more vulnerable to the new respiratory disease, but there's never been a pandemic that brought the disparities so vividly to focus as this one. And the Surgeon General Jerome Adams, 
who is 45, said, quote, I've shared myself personally that I have high blood pressure. I have heart disease and I spent a week in the intensive care unit due to a heart condition that I actually have asthma and I'm pre-diabetic. And so I represent that legacy of growing up poor and black in America. Um, now, according to the Washington Post on Monday, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law and hundreds of doctors joined a group of Democratic lawmakers, including Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, demanding that the federal government release daily race and ethnicity data on coronavirus testing patients and their health outcomes. Uh, in its letter to Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, the Lawyers Committee said the Trump administration's alarming lack of transparency and data is preventing public health officials from understanding the full impact of this pandemic on black communities and other communities of color. And as pressure mounted, the CDC spokesman said Tuesday that the agency plans to include COVID-19 hospitalizations by rate and ethnicity in its next morbidity and mortality weekly report. That's more than six weeks after the first American died of the disease. But detailed data on the race of coronavirus patients has been reported publicly in fewer than a dozen states and several more counties. And despite Trump acknowledging the race disparity in yesterday's press briefing and wondering what he could do about it, to date, to date, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has only released figures by age and gender. So we'll keep you posted on this issue as data becomes available. But, you know, I, I, was, I, was, I was worried about this. And uh, it's, well, it's, it's unbelievable, um, but yet totally believable, which I, I, I know I say every day about this administration. Uh, also today. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders has suspended his campaign, though he has not endorsed Joe Biden and intends to keep his name on the ballot in all upcoming primary contests until the convention in order to, to gather more delegates so that he can have more leverage over the party platform during the convention. Sanders' exit unleashes former President Barack Obama to finally get off the sidelines and campaign to defeat President Donald Trump. Obama stayed out of the primary out of deference to the many Democrats running when the contest started more than a year ago. But with Sanders out, Obama's free to jump in. For his former Vice President Biden, a source told the Chicago Sun-Times that Obama and Sanders and Obama and Biden have had several conversations in the recent weeks. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. We could start seeing that happen. And here's some good news. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced Wednesday that voters will be able to cast absentee ballots for the state's primary in June. Cuomo said that he is issuing, issuing an executive order that would allow all New Yorkers to vote from home from the, for the June 23rd primary, which was already postponed from April 28th. Quote, New Yorkers shouldn't have to choose between their health and their civic duty. Uh, and the governor said he made the decision after seeing lawn lines forming at polling places for other states' primaries, saying in-person voting poses too great a public health risk. Uh, he won't have, New York isn't like Wisconsin in that they don't have a Republican-controlled assembly or a Republican-controlled state senate, and they don't have uh, a Republican-controlled Supreme Court. Um, so he won't get any pushback on his executive order for absentee voting. So congratulations. Good. I'm glad that they're doing that. Uh, quote, uh, he says, Cuomo says, on voting, I've seen lines of people on television voting in other states. This is totally nonsensical. God bless them for having such diligence for their civil duty that they would go stand to, online to vote. But people shouldn't have to make that choice. So good on you, Governor Cuomo. I appreciate you. We'll be right back with Glenn Kirshner to discuss insider trading in Congress. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. This Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by thezebra.com. I am always trying to save money, but right now we all need to save money. And did you know Americans are overpaying on car insurance by $21 billion, over $21 billion? And oftentimes searching for a better deal can take hours and just ends up resulting in a ton of spam calls and emails. 
But not anymore, thanks to TheZebra.com. TheZebra.com is the nation's leading car insurance comparison site. It's the only place you can compare quotes side-by-side from over 100 providers and choose the best one for you in less than two minutes, 90 seconds or less, actually. Plus, they will never sell your information to spammers, so you won't get all those unwanted calls or emails. Just answer a few questions on a simple, fast form. They find the best rates and coverage in your state. TechCrunch calls the Zebra Kayak for Auto Insurance, and the best part is it's totally free. You can save up to $670 a year using the Zebra.com. We could all use that extra cash right about now, so check it out, the Zebra.com. See how much you can save on car and home insurance. Home insurance, too, they do that as well. And right now, you're probably driving less, so, you know, you should call and update that information anyway. So go today and start saving at the Zebra.com slash Daily Beans. That's the Zebra.com slash Daily Beans, spelled T-H-E-Z-E-B-R-A dot com slash Daily Beans. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining us today is former federal prosecutor and MSNBC legal analyst. Please welcome back Glenn Kirshner to the show. Glenn, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm hanging in there, you know, uh, self-isolating. I've got the cats and a dog, and uh, they're my staff now. Uh, So uh, they're not taking their responsibilities very seriously, though. Mel, I hope you're homeschooling them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I signed them up for an online accredited university. uh, And (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it's supported by Betsy DeVos. It's a a for-profit online. Um, Uh Uh-oh, okay. (laughs) So... I know we've had you on recently, but some legal questions have come up. And you're my, you, uh, to me, with your 24 years at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, 30 years in, 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 in uh, pro- federal prosecution, I think, and especially, I mean, you know, in homicide, um, you have a lot of experience in that, as did Bob Mueller, as did Frank Fugalusi. But you're, I was like, there's no better person to talk to about this. We had Frank on yesterday who, you know, to, who discussed the three elements of negligent homicide. And this is with regards to Trump's negligence in handling the coronavirus outbreak and then, you know, the Navarro memo, which is just one of 800 ways he was warned early on in December and January. But Trump has successfully escaped prosecution and impeachment against seemingly insurmountable evidence twice already, once with the Mueller investigation, once with the Ukraine investigation. How do you do you envision him being successfully prosecuted for his handling of this epidemic? We know he's guilty on the three elements, right? But is, is, it, is it realistic? Um, you know, as far as the evidence is concerned, he is imminently prosecutable. Um, you know, 22 of my 30 years as a prosecutor, I was handling murder cases in D.C., including uh, as chief of homicide responsible for overseeing all murder prosecutions in the city. Um, and sadly, business was very good. Um, so I know my way around a homicide charge. Um, the reality is, on the evidence, uh, at, a, at a minimum, negligent homicide can be proved all day long in a court of law against Donald Trump. The question is, politically, will we have the will, the backbone, the, um, the determination to do it, to hold him accountable for that and many of the other crimes he has plainly committed, whether it's what was documented in the Mueller report in volume two, multiple counts of felony obstruction of justice, whether it's obstruction of Congress, which he plainly did, whether it's witness tampering, which he did vis-a-vis Marie Yovanovitch, whether it's campaign finance violations, which Michael Cohen did with him and, and for him, and Michael Cohen is serving a prison sentence for it. And That really just scratches the surface of the crimes that Donald Trump has committed. As a career prosecutor, 
I can tell you the evidence is there to successfully prosecute all of these crimes once he is no longer protected by Bill Barr and the really horrific uh, Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel memo that says we don't think it's a good idea to prosecute a criminal president while he's in office. I happen to believe that maybe believe is too strong a word. I, I strongly hope and suspect that once Joe Biden takes over in January 2021, assuming he wins the election, and he appoints a law-abiding attorney general and a law-enforcing attorney general, um, there will have to be an independent commission set up to address, to investigate and, where the evidence supports it, bring criminal charges against everyone in the Trump administration who has committed crimes against the United States and against the American people. If we don't do that, if we turn the other cheek and let bygones be bygones and just put this long national nightmare behind us by declining to hold criminals accountable, I, I firmly believe we are lost as a republic. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we ignored, we, we left Nixon be, we left Bush be, and, and I think that sort of paved the way for what we have now. Uh, but have we ever, can you think of a time, uh, I don't think we've ever criminally prosecuted a former president does i know no one is above the law but that hasn't been working out so well as long as Barr is there but once he's gone does him having been president give him any kind of an out you know how like congress has the speech and debate clause where you know i was just doing my job does having been president uh because i trump the man yeah crime all day uh crime all the time president uh you know does that have any sort of protection that we could run into from people keeping people from federally prosecuting him to be able at least to obtain and maintain a conviction which is one of the requirements i think in what is the federal criminal uh manual that says that, that you have to be able to do that yeah he would have some limited immunity from civil suits i want to start there that people tried to bring against him for uh sort of legitimate judgments that he made while he was president, even if those judgments went wrong and ended up um, hurting people. Um, but that's different from being criminally prosecuted for crimes he committed while president. There is no um, legal defense to a criminal charge that when I committed the crime, whether it was shooting somebody on Fifth Avenue or committing campaign violations or you know any number, you know, obstructing Congress, um, because I was president, I have absolute immunity from criminal prosecution once I leave office. Think about it. The, the whole point of the OLC memo says, you know, there's this robust debate on whether a president, while sitting as president of the United States, can be criminally prosecuted. And the legal wizards at the Office of Legal Counsel decided that that was bad. Basically, it couldn't be tolerated because it would unduly interfere with the president's responsibility to run the country. Therefore, any criminal prosecution would have to await him leaving office. So even implicit in that memo is the understanding that a president can be criminally prosecuted once he leaves office, just not while he's sitting. Yeah, and, and, and Mueller testified to that over and over again, much to the shock of Ken Buck, who didn't think he would be getting that answer when, when, he, yeah. when he said, well, so wait, we can, we can prosecute him once he leaves office? Yes. Wait, so you're <laughs> saying 
we could prosecute the president after he's out of office. Yes. You yeah. know, from, from a guy who the whole time was like, I take your question or I'm not going to comment on that or whatever's in the report. Just for, for that's like the plate up. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's like, go Mueller. Uh, so, yeah, that's blatantly clear. If Mueller said it on TV, fuck. <laughs> yep. Um, and, the, and the nice thing about that, so people say, but it's, it's never been done before. So there's no precedent. Mm-hmm. You can't do it if there's no precedent. Can I tell you something? If we couldn't do something without precedent, guess what? We never would have done anything. You have to take a maiden voyage to create precedent. That's why they call it precedent. It's mm. been done before. So, you know, I, I, if I had time, I could give you two examples of how when I was a prosecutor in D.C., I brought two cases that had never been brought before. There was no precedent, but I thought it was the right thing to do. And I had some uh, cases in other jurisdictions that I used by way of analogy as, you know, atmospheric precedent, persuasive precedent, but not binding on the courts of the District of Columbia. One was called the Urban Warfare Theory of Homicide Liability, which I brought for the first time as a result of two gangs shooting up the streets, putting innocent bystanders at risk back in June of 1999 and sending a straight bullet through the back of a, of a grandmother named Helen Foster Ellis. She was trying to shepherd some children to safety amidst this gun battle on a June afternoon. And I said, I'm charging all participants in the gun battle, both team A and team B, uh, that you know they were the gangs that couldn't shoot straight. They couldn't hit each other, but they killed this poor grandmother. I'm charging them all with second degree depraved heart murder. And everybody told me, can't do it. No precedent, no law allowing it. I said, yeah, watch me. What's the worst thing that can happen? The judge says, you know what, Prosecutor Kirshner, I, do, I am not persuaded by your legal theory, so I'm going to dismiss the case. Well, guess what? We brought those cases. We won those cases. Those cases went up to the District of Columbia Court of Appeals. They said, this makes a lot of sense. We, therefore, adopt the urban warfare um, theory of homicide liability in the District of Columbia. And what is that? Precedent. That's why, that's how we create precedent and we will and we must create precedent by indicting trying and convicting a criminal president yeah yeah you're right you're absolutely right you can't start (laughs) a fire without a match you can't you yeah we you know we wouldn't if you hadn't brought any of those cases you know those even the the two you brought then there wouldn't be a precedent set to begin with how you know it's got to start somewhere but you don't bring a novel case you're not going to make precedent but I do understand, you know, the, the people's, I, I maybe not understand, but, you know, people do that. People are wary of, of bringing new cases, novel cases for that, you know, for whatever reason. Um, no, they're afraid of losing, for one. But you know yeah. what? There is no shame in losing. you got to step into the arena, fight the fight on behalf of the American people for justice. Mm-hmm. And if you lose, you lose. Yeah. It doesn't make you, it's just how it goes, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also wanted to speak with you before I let you go briefly about Richard Burr and Kelly Loeffler. Uh, we learned today, she's Georgia senator, uh, that her and her stock exchange CEO husband will sell all individual stocks amid the backlash they faced for dumping and buying relevant stock to profit off of her classified briefings about coronavirus. And uh, I know insider trading is really hard to prove, uh, but could could this move this, oh, we're going to sell all of our individual stocks. Could that, first of all, show consciousness of guilt? What is consciousness of guilt? And can it be part of evidence in a prosecution? Yeah. I mean, consciousness of guilt is anything you do to either cover up a crime, to mitigate what you did that was unlawful, um, to avoid being held responsible for a crime. So 
If I send emails to people talking about a crime I committed or a crime I was intending to commit, and then I went about, you know, deleting my emails and, and be, you know, getting rid of my computer and telling people, hey, do me a favor, don't let anybody know that I sent you that email. I mean, that all shows consciousness of guilt, which can be used as incriminating evidence proving that I committed the crime in the first instance. Now, Martha when it comes to divesting, what, yeah, yeah, when it comes to divesting myself or divesting oneself of you know, stocks that were a product of illegal insider trading, either stock purchases or stock dumps. Um, trust me, the prosecutors, when and if a, an insider trading case is brought, and it would be under the Stock Act, which is, I think, a cute acronym standing for Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge, S-D-O-C-K, <laughs> if I'm well, not how, mistaken. How convenient. Um, that I, yeah, and I don't think anybody's been prosecuted under it, quite frankly. But... Um, the that you can bet the prosecutors when and if a case is brought will try to use this as consciousness of guilt because if you really didn't trade on your insider congressional information regarding how coronavirus was going to ravage our country and instead you know senator burr you really did just make your your buy-sell decisions based on what you saw on CNBC. I can't even get through that without laughing. Yeah, I know, right? You know, I mean, let him make that defense, but the prosecutors will try to use the fact that he divested himself of the stock as an admission that he did wrong in the first instance, because if you didn't do wrong, well, then you don't have to divest yourself of something that you came into possession of on the up and up. Yeah. So prosecutors will try to use the fact that he divested himself of that stock as evidence that shows consciousness of guilt. He knew that he had committed the crime in the first instance, so now he was trying to just mitigate the damage. And it will be up to a judge to decide whether that evidence should be admitted at trial or not, if a case is ever brought, which I predict it will not be. Yeah, uh, I, and I feel that because, you know, I had a personal situation in a, with, a, with a past employer where I was, I was put under heavy telework restrictions, which I refused to sign and, and comply with because they felt retaliatory. And, uh, and I felt I was being singled out. And within about an hour of that, then those telework restrictions were sent to everyone else in the office. Uh, as sort of a retroactive cover your ass scenario, consciousness of guilt admission that they were singling me out in the first place. And and I guess, you know, maybe they don't understand time is linear and emails have timestamps, but that's the kind of thing, you know, that, that will get you in trouble. And that's sort of what I saw happening here. So that's very interesting. Chris Collins, you know, is going to jail for insider trading, but that wasn't based on on congressional knowledge as you know in the stock acronym that was straight up old school insider <laughs> trading the way we have always prohibited under the law yeah. it was only once we realized that members of congress were getting privileged non-public information that they could then exploit to their advantage by trading stocks in reliance on that information that the public didn't have which is unfair and it was just more of a political insider trading than a business insider trading. But yeah, Collins did it the old fashioned way. He, you know, he crimed the way all insider traders crime. And so, so uh, Loeffler and Burr couldn't be prosecuted for good old fashioned, regular old school insider trading because they're members of Congress. 
they actually can be because what the Stock Act did um, is it expanded the definition of insider trading to now include insider trading by members of Congress. So they just said you don't have to be kind of in, in that business loop as, for example, a, a you know, member of the board and you're trading on the fact that you have inside information about your company that is about to impact your stock. That's the old-fashioned one. What, what the Stock Act did was it expanded the definition to insider trading so that it operated beyond the business context, now also included members of Congress doing it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it just sort of give, makes it worse uh, for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they're also public. They, they, you know, look, a business corporation or a board member might owe his or her shareholders a duty, a fiduciary duty. But guess what? The people we send to Washington owe all of us, the constituents, a fiduciary duty. So it really does add insult to injury. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just felt personally uh, shy did when, when I found out about that. Like, as Trump is downplaying the coronavirus and, and Larry Kudlow is writing op-eds about how it's no big whoop. Uh, at, meanwhile, everyone's dumping their stock and then buying stock in PPE and buying stock in um, telework software Citrix, uh, knowing all of this shit that they they didn't get it from CNBC, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. That's why I, I can't get through that that Burr claim without laughing. Yeah, I would have dumped all my hotel stock uh, if I was told on CNBC that this was going to be what it is. But that's not the news that we were getting. That's not the public reporting we were getting. All right. Well, thank you very much, former federal prosecutor, MSNBC contributor. Look for him on MSNBC. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us again. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right. And with that, we'll be back with the good news block. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Let me tell you about the most useful app on my phone right now. Sometimes when you're busy, it's hard to find time to sit down and get a whole book in uh, or work on personal development. And there's an incredible new app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. They take the best key takeaways and the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condense them down into just 15 minutes so you can read or listen uh, you know, quickly. Um, successful people, business leaders, they're all well known for reading a lot of books. Uh, and Blinkist has made it easy for busy people who want to get the main points out of a book quickly so you can start using the information right away. Me, for example, I haven't had time to read anything for pleasure. I've been doing nothing but political reading and legal briefs and everything, indictments and Mueller reports. I've, all I've been reading since frick 2017. But with this audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or whether you're on a walk while you're exercising. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now. It has a massive growing library from self-help, business, health, history, all kinds of books, all kinds of nonfiction books. And, and they have the latest titles from bestsellers lists as well as classic nonfiction titles you always wanted to read but never had time to. I like it because in less than 15 minutes, I can fast track my path to a more informed self. I, I think that's great. I also love that with Blinkist, I get the main points of a book, which helps me evaluate books that I might want to read in full later when this entire insanity is over. Uh, I use Blinkist when I'm out on my walks. That's when I do it. And I've recently uh, gone through Becoming by Michelle Obama. I can't recommend it enough. And with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want, all for one low price. Right now, go for a limited time. Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com beans and try it free for seven days and then save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash beans to start your free seven-day trial. You'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash beans. Well, we'll float on 
All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time for that sweet, sweet good news with Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you holding up today? I am doing okay. Obviously a disappointing day, but not something that I don't think we uh, as Bernie supporters didn't see coming eventually. But I'm doing okay. Yeah, I guess the writing was on the wall. But when it's official that your candidate is, you know, suspending their campaign, it's it's tough. I, I remember, I you know, we Warren supporters went through it. Um, Bernie supporters last time went through it. So yeah, definitely. It's still tough. It does, yes. just, it's like one of those things you, you should be prepared for, but it's hard to be prepared for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially in the context of everything that's happening right now with, yeah. you know, people not having health care and all. But well, I'm I'm certainly very glad that um, Sanders is a senator and Warren is a senator and Harris is a senator and and they are putting their, you know, their thoughts into this into a second stimulus bill and what they think the American people need. So I'm very glad that, you know, even if they're not running for president anymore, that they are going to have some 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 say in this new stimulus bill. Definitely. Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Um, th- you know, I announced uh, on Twitter that uh, Sanders was dropping out of the campaign. I, I have I haven't gotten too much of a of a backlash response. A couple here and there, but you know, it's not like uh, the overwhelming um, attacks that uh, that I thought I might I might see. But that's that. It just hasn't been that way. So that's good. That's comforting. Uh, I've gotten a lot of folks. And I guess it's mostly our listeners uh, who are saying, hey, you know, I was I voted for uh, Bernie, but I'll vote for Biden. And so I'm seeing I'm feeling a little I'm feeling positive about about the vote blue, no matter who concept coming in November from from these from it from it right now. I know that there's going to be a rift in the party there. There's just is. But I I'm feeling less worried about it. Yeah, I also think it's important to understand that there are a lot of voters that truly were Bernie, your best people. That's not a myth, right? Like those people exist. So there's going to be people that are online saying, you know, I'm not going to vote for anyone now. There's no way I'll ever vote for Biden. Those people, first off, do not represent all Bernie supporters, number one. And number two, they do not represent the entirety of Bernie supporters in the sense that you need to fear that you're not going to have, you know, this huge, huge group of people that are now going to support Biden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Biden was getting a shitload of votes. When Bernie was in the race too, so it's. I think it's. I think it's going to be okay. We just have to. We just have to. First of all, we have to figure out how we're going to vote in November. <laughs> right. uh, and uh, you can do that by calling your local voter registrar's office and just now and saying, "What is the plan for November? How are we going to vote in November? Can I have an absentee ballot? Can I mail in my vote? I don't want to go stand in line with a bunch of people and risk infecting others and risk being infected myself and bringing it back to my family. What is our plan? And you can start organizing your communities virtually and digitally to to call your registrar's office and make sure that there is a plan locally where you vote definitely we can't rely on on we can't rely on this on this administration to to have a fair election no and what happened in wisconsin is unacceptable it's really 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 terrible i mean i know early on before the pandemic became what it is you know we were like i'll vote in you know i'll risk my life to vote you should not you should not have to risk your life to vote and i think we you know i i read on the show ruth bader ginsburg's dissent yesterday and she hit the nail on the head she's like you shouldn't have to risk death for democracy voting should be safe free easy and available to everybody i'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. um she put it much more eloquently than I. I need I need to get a caller, a dissent caller, so that I can speak with more grace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, she's amazing. Fucking, ugh, keep her in a bubble, please. I know. Um, well, I know you have a lot of good news to share, but do you mind if we do a little Schadenfreude first? Ooh, yes. Schadenfreude. Okay, so from Politico, this just came out. Uh, I, I thought it was a, a nice Schadenfreude story. Twitter briefly locked the account of Diamond and Silk this afternoon over a tweet that violated the rules against coronavirus misinformation. Lynette Hardaway and Rochelle Richardson uh, claimed in a tweet today that individuals will get sicker if they stay inside during the pandemic, saying, quote, the only way we can become immune to the environment, we must be out in the environment. Quarantining people inside of their houses for extended periods will make people sick. Uh, Twitter said that's misinformation, and they uh, suspended their account until Diamond and Silk deleted the tweet, which they did, and now they're back up and running. But it's good to know that the coronavirus misinformation uh, Twitter terms of service is is being. This is uh, we've heard a lot of stories like this, so I'm glad it's being put to use. I think they should be suspended for longer, but that's just me. Yeah, holy crap! There's so much dumb shit going around. <laughs> I know. The misinformation oh spreads faster than the virus is, is what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's fucking crazy. Blows my mind. Yeah. And it's like everyone's scared right now, too. And so they're just going to want to, you know, believe the newest information they hear. And it's fucking, ugh. Yeah. Anyone, anyone who takes medical advice from Diamond and Silk, though, like, I worry for them. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well. That Schadenfreude out of the way. That opens us up to the good news block. Uh, what do you have? What what did uh, what was what did Mandy Reedy collect for us today? Yes, Mandy Reedy. So we start off with some good news from Anonymous. Uh, Anonymous says, "I work at the Jacksonville Humane Society in Jacksonville, Florida. When it became apparent that this crisis was going to be bigger than any of us could fathom, we put out a call for emergency fosters to get animals out of the shelter. Jacksonville answered our call and stepped up in the most beautiful way." Over the course of three days, we went from having 250 animals in the shelter down to 38. At the time of this email... Yeah, that's crazy. At the time of this email, we only have two cats and 12 dogs on site that are eligible for adoption. This alleviation of animals on site has allowed us to divide our staff into two teams to reduce the number of people in the building, along with our risk of exposure as we are considered essential. Pod listeners, please consider supporting your local animal shelter if you have the means, especially pet food banks. They are being used now more than ever. Thank you. That's awesome. That's so cool. Oh my god. I didn't even know that was the thing you could do. Yeah. Not so easily, I guess. I, I had I guess yeah. um well I guess really in non apocalypse times, I don't know how many opportunities there are to foster to foster a pet, but yeah, I don't know. I'm just not familiar with the adoption process for pets or humans for that matter. Um so this is yeah, this is so beautiful. That that's a crazy good response. That is. Go Jacksonville. We shit on Florida, and I t- we take it all back. <laughs> <laughs> You've erased it all. I, I do want to urge folks, though, if you're thinking of fostering uh, and adopting a pet while on quarantine, that you have a plan for being able to care for the pet if you if you end up going back to work at some point. Just a thought. Yes, that is a great point. Um, yeah, don't toy with the animals' hearts and bodies. <laughs> That's I feel like I feel like it's common again, even when there's not an apocalypse happening, is people, uh, they want they want to get a pet and then they get the pet and then they're like, oh, my lifestyle does not support this. And then, you know, that's when the pet starts getting a not great quality of life. So you're absolutely right. 
That is a good thing to keep in mind. Yes. Essential thing to keep in mind. Very true. Always consider all consider all of the options. Um, you know, after I went, you know, we're going through a divorce, we have a dog. And so, you know, I didn't think about that at the time we got the dog. Uh, so you just make want to make those considerations, you know, mm-hmm. have those play chess in your head. Think moves ahead. You know, mm-hmm. that's all. But yeah, what a beautiful definitely. story. So beautiful. Uh, All right, up next from Amy. Amy says, my daughter turned three today. A friend organized a drive-by parade that included three of her teachers and a few friends. Her main teacher rode his bike across Denver with his ukulele so that he could play and sing happy birthday through the fence. So cute. (laughs) What's her name? Did did they say? No, they didn't say. I just know Amy is the person who submitted it. So that's so freaking cute. That's so Denver. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. Happy birthday. Um, Happy birthday, so-and-so. Yeah, what a great mental picture, too. The ukulele. That's just fantastic. I know. Also, the dexterity. Is he only... Is he going no handsies? Yeah, he must. Is he writing and playing? (laughs) Must be. Wait, was it a unicycle? (laughs) That would be so funny. Uh, Let's see. Does it say bicycle? Rode his bike. I imagine it had two wheels. What a square. What (laughs) It's hard to play the ukulele if you're not on a unicycle. I mean, yeah. if as opposed to a bicycle. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, a ukulele is more of a segue sport. <laughs> that's so cute, though. <laughs> oh, thank you, Amy. Uh, all right, and our final good news before we go into quarantine confessions, which are very fun. Uh, these are these are also fun, though. So our final one from Anonymous again. Anonymous says. Amy fucking McGrath has surpassed Mitch McConnell in what his team is calling record-breaking fundraising. That means they're really scared. Let's do this, Kentucky. Woo! Yes, yes. And that is a huge race. Uh, Ousting Mitch McConnell would be, I think, as important as ousting Donald Trump. Very Um, close. Very, very close. It's a very close second. Yeah. Uh, just what a giant piece of shit he is and, and the amount of power he holds and the amount of judgeships he's, he's, you know, stolen. And it's just absolutely insane what a complete asshole he is. And so good job, Amy. Everyone, if you got a dollar, send it her way, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to start shifting some of those Bernie dollars definitely into these, um, local races too. It's going to be great. Um, all right, quarantine confessions. This is the best new segment. So quarantine confessions, uh, if this is your first time tuning in hearing about this, this is a new segment where we ask people to let us know some funny shit that they've done in quarantine. Uh, a lot of them get submitted anonymously, but we have a bunch of brave souls today. So our first one, actually, our first one is from Twitter user John Bolton's mustache. So I guess that's still pretty anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> John Bolton's mustache says, I've been having a little Bailey's Irish cream in my coffee every homeschool day. The name of the drink has been changed from Irish coffee to the homeschooler. (laughs) 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 That's so fun. I love that. That's, I used to, uh, when when I was on tour with Warp Tour, I went for, we did it for a couple years and my job was basically just like, um, it was me and two other guys jobs to make sure that like the the crowd safety logistics where everyone was on the same page with like police and fire department and everyone for for each city that we were in 
uh, for the event. So you're, you know, it's a job that you're supposed to be pretty on your game for. And towards the end of those runs, or like when we would be doing a two week stretch, like 14 days straight, no breaks, I would do the same thing. So I'm with you, John Bolton's mustache. And wake up at 6 a.m. and be like, fuck this. I'm putting whiskey in this drink right now. (laughs) (laughs) If not on Warped Tour, when? Right, right. It's not like you're like in your cubicle at, you know, your corporate job. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, All right. From Christy. She, uh, Christy says, I pretty much wear my MC Hammer pants and a Mickey Mouse t-shirt 24-7 now. And yes, I'm doing fine. (laughs) MC Hammer pants. (laughs) Those were a thing. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing she's probably close to my age because those were a thing. I mean, obviously when MC Hammer was out, but women had those baggy crotch legging pants. Like they were tight at the bottom and then Mm -hmm. like super low hanging crotch. That was a really big fashion thing in like 93, 94. Uh, And that's so funny. uh, Yeah. I have, I have a couple of pairs, pairs of those and, and they, you know, sometimes they had stirrups at the bottom. Sometimes they didn't, you'd scrunch them up. You'd wear like a couple of different neon socks and in alternating patterns Mm -hmm. uh, at the bottom with your big kicks and uh, except we didn't call them kicks. And then, I remember being on college campus. I was at, going to Northern Arizona University and there were signs around campus that said, I will teach you to dance like MC Hammer for free. And he put his address and a time on these things. And so me and my couple of my friends showed up to this guy and it's this weird dude in his basement and he's oh, like in God. his thirties <laughs> <laughs> and he starts, he starts the MC Hammer lesson, not with the sideways shuffle thing. Mm-hmm. But he starts the MC Hammer lesson with threading the needle, which is where you hold up one foot and jump through that, jump over Ooh. it with your other foot. Wow, that is jumping to level ten. Yeah, yeah. Like you gotta, you gotta learn to walk before, or crawl before you learn to walk. Hammer. Especially in so those he- pants. Yes. <laughs> he caught his toe on his crotch of his MC Hammer pants. <laughs> Fucking smashed his face into the floor, broke his front tooth, like chipped his front tooth. Uh and we were just all like Oh my oh, god. We got to go. It, Please Hammer, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> you know, you know his brain was like, "Oh man, there's a lot more hot girls here than I was expecting. I better start with thread the needle." <laughs> he just I really want to hook him. <laughs> and then he freaking eats shit. That's so funny. <laughs> I oh will teach you God. to dance like MC Hammer for free. Better times, huh? When you could just walk into someone's basement relatively unfazed. <laughs> yeah, and what dumbasses were we? Like, hey, ladies, let's go to some stranger's basement and learn how to dance like MC Hammer for free. Like, what yeah, the did fuck he, were did we he, thinking? Did he mention the basement on the flyer, or was that just something you guys found out and had to make an executive decision? <laughs> We found out at the scene, but went to the basement anyway. So, oh god, that's so funny. Yeah, you just hear like sneakers going across the floor, <laughs> like sounds coming up from the staircase. You're like, yeah, sounds legit. There you go. You can go down there. <laughs> that's so good. Um, <laughs> I wish shit like that. No one does that shit anymore. The bulletin boards in my college were much more boring. They were like. And if anybody has migraines and wants to be a part of this clinical study, we'll give you $10. And that was all there was. I Um, saw a sign recently on the uh, Mesa College campus. It's a community college. 
uh, we were doing a, a so say we all was doing a, a veterans writing writers workshop reading there for incoming where we, you know we all tell of our stories about being reintegrated into society after getting out of the military and we're i'm on campus and there was a sign on on one of those you know how they have those bulletin round things where you post all your bills like in the middle mm-hmm. of campus like information totally and w- one of them said uh december it, december is national procrastination awareness month join us for you know whatever blah 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 to learn how to better manage your time and i thought it was so funny that they picked december to be the month for national procrastination awareness like, oh that's so funny <laughs> the end of the year like that's amazing. Uh, like we were gonna do it in February, but let's be realistic. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I thought they were gonna. Um, that'd be funny if they did like a bit for like get, we'll have the meeting in December. In the parentheses, like actually February. Good. <laughs> I didn't know there was an actual support group for that. No, I think I think it's just I think there's somebody wanted to like sell like time management classes, but it was yeah. just fucking. I don't think they were trying to be funny, which makes it even better. Oh, that's so good. I love that. Um, all right, next from Danielle. Danielle says, my husband and I found two Nerf guns in the house, so we spontaneously started a Nerf gun war. It's very therapeutic. <laughs> it's fun. Does it go on forever? Like, does it, is it just always on? Is it always, is the game always going? Because that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's, that's a great, yeah, maybe they have like a Smirnoff, like getting iced situation, sort of. Like, they find a little Nerf dart somewhere, and then the person just <laughs> comes out and pegs them a million times. <laughs> Yeah, because my friend Sonia and I have a game called Your Team that we've been playing literally for like 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically what it is, is is that when you're out in a public place, we haven't played in a while. Um, when you're out in a public place and you see somebody, you can you can assign that person to the other person's team. You can be like, hey, Sonia, see that guy? Your team. Uh-huh. And so then that that, that just, that, like, damn it, I don't want that guy on my team. <laughs> and... and um, and it, but like when we would go to like the county fair, we'd be like, all right, this is off limits for your team. We cannot play your team at the county fair or we will never get to do anything else because we would just always be assigning people to to your That's team. So we used to play that in high school, too. That's so fun. Uh, yeah. Your team. Yes. Yes. Your team. What? Wow. There are so many fun little like societal games that exist in little bursts throughout everyone's life or like. The crisscross, uh, or wait, what's the fucking, you know, the weird back chills shit that we would all do to each other in elementary school? Just a bunch oh, of yeah. in- inappropriate, creepy touching. Yep, <laughs> Just, yep, yep. <laughs> everyone's yep. done that. Very strange. Slug bug. Oh, yeah. Always, always uh, touching. There's always punching Slug- and touching involved. Yes. Or like when you drive over railroad tracks, you have to touch a screw or put your cross your fingers in the air when you drive past a graveyard. It's just so funny these little weird things, little superstitions yeah. and and your team games that we all that we all engage in. What was another one? Oh, the circle game, of course, which everyone you know uh, came came about again because the white power symbol has often been used, uh, and people say, "Oh, we're just playing the circle game." So there was that. Oh yeah. Um, Did you ever do Chinese fire drill? I think is what it's called, yep. which obviously yep. doesn't have a great origin for a name, but um, no. <laughs> it's probably insensitive in some way. I have no clue what the person was even thinking when they named it, but that's that's the thing. Yeah, when you pull up somewhere and then like get out of the car and run around three times, right? Yep, yep. And then you get back in the car. Why, why is it yes. called a Chinese fire drill? I don't even know. I have no fucking idea. 
No idea. Very nonsensical. I used to play this game. I used to hang out with a bunch of Mormon people because Vegas is just like filled with Mormons and I wound up being friends with Mormons because I was a freaking prude. Um, <laughs> but I was not, <laughs> I was not religious. I was just like the one heathen that would hang out with them and all their parents were like, why? I don't get it. And I'm like, I don't know. And so we were hanging out and I had a Mormon friend who did this thing where anytime we went over the railroad tracks, you had to like lift up your feet but then she also added lifting up her shirt and like flopping her boobs out which was hilarious because she's mormon (laughs) yeah that's not part of that game that has never been a thing that was just a mormon wanting to put her titties out i think i think so too it was so funny it was so (laughs) i'm gonna just start doing that like like oh oh wait we're driving by a mcdonald's i i have to i have to kiss you This is uh, what you have you to get. give me eight dollars. Yes, <laughs> this is what happens when sexual repression is is the name of the game before you're married off in a singles ward. But it's like <laughs> it was so yeah, it was so funny. I was like, hell yeah, I'm down. I don't give a fuck. I don't have any dads to answer to. I'm freaking. And by that I mean religious dads. I had a dad. Hello, dad. Shout out. Um. <laughs> Anyways, moving on from Millie George. Um. Millie says, I haven't shaved my legs since the first day of the lockdown. Hell yeah. Oh, girl, I haven't shaved my legs since the first day of last year, so. <laughs> God, I hate shaving right. my legs, too. It's the fucking worst. It is like. I think we're I think we're good, though, because we're like light hair, light eyed. And so, like, we yeah. you know. Yeah, that's We can get true. away with it, I think, for a lot longer without being publicly scrutinized by dudes. Yeah, that's true. You wouldn't be able to even see my hair until your face is close enough for me to, like, knee you in the face <laughs> i don't know oh, why we're that's... going over railroad tracks <laughs> we're going over railroad tracks you have to put your face on my legs <laughs> yeah exactly only in very intimate situations uh would people be able to see my hair too which i feel very fortunate for kind of i guess i don't know i feel like i hate shaving i really do sometimes i get to a point where it's uncomfortable but most of the time i'm just i'm down to be a hairy beast when i was in sixth grade i remember um I was in PE and I wasn't like, I don't know, I'm a socially anxious person, you know, and I've always kind of been that way. And I had not known this girl, but I had like kind of admired her from afar. She was like, she was cool. She had like a leopard print backpack and she had safety pins on it because she was sad, you know, and I thought she was, (laughs) and I thought she was really cool. And one day we were like, waiting in the gym to do some i don't know stupid fucking whatever badminton shit and i was like curled up in a ball just standing against or sitting against a wall just kind of waiting for my turn great great physical education class just that was how most of the time was spent which is waiting and then she comes over to me and she like skips over and sits next to me and then runs her hand up my leg for some reason yeah and goes into my ear and goes you're my furry friend. And then just walks away. What? It was the most leopard print safety pin person thing to do. It was so weird. I was like, what What the fuck? And then ever since I like went home and immediately shaved, I'm like, this shit's never happening to me again. That was so fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird combo. I wouldn't put leopard print with safety pins. Leopard print is top 40 and safety pins are, are alt- rock so i don't understand yeah that combo. well that's definitely well, weird well leopard print i mean leopard print's pretty punk right like at least 
from mm, maybe like new punk maybe like I, I feel like Sid Vicious was like a leopard print guy or something I don't know I, I, I don't associate that but I, I you know I wasn't super heavy into the punk scene yeah anyways um, interesting <laughs> yes very interesting Harry likes story point is only good things and fun experiences happen when you don't shave your legs so keep it up Millie it's a conversation starter for sure it is it really is um, from Lena Lena says I may or may not have bought literally 12 bags of shrimp chips the last time we went grocery shopping <laughs> Is it still hoarding if I ate them all and the store still had more? <laughs> I don't think it's no. hoarding if it's shrimp chips because... No, yeah, I don't think that there's a shortage. <laughs> I don't think so either. Have you ever had those? They're they're actually really good, but they smell like complete fucking shrimp. It is just like... <laughs> no, I have oh never had God. that. They used to have them at UCSD, and I would eat them all the time. They are very good, but they seriously are the smelliest things I've ever eaten. So smelly. Um, but yeah, they're good. And I say no. Keep hoarding them. Why not? Uh, okay, finally, from Ellen. Ellen says, my goals have been to wear pants with a zipper and slap on some lipstick each day. I also set a weekly calendar reminder to pluck my eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny i like that the mirror isn't enough it had to be it has to be a calendar reminder <laughs> right yeah that's so funny yeah i know that's fantastic that is great well those were great that was so good thank you everyone please continue to send them i know mandy Reedy will keep sending out uh her name is amanda reader but we shall keep sending out calls for for this kind of stuff don't forget to join us friday we're having a cocktail quarantine q a again uh 4 p.m pacific time for patrons and this time we're dressing nice so put on your makeup do your hair do whatever you want and you don't have to if you don't want to i just want people to have the opportunity to get all schnazzy if you know because we, ha we haven't been able to do that in a while and i th I, th I think that's fun yeah how schnazzy are you going uh, I have a black cocktail dress um, I, I wore to a couple of weddings. Okay. I could wear my wedding dress. Yeah, but the only the only cocktail dress I have is like this gold sequined, like over the top fancy ass dress. So I think I'm just going to wear yeah. it. Hell yeah, you should wear it. I'll, I'll wear see. It. I'll, maybe I'll go. I have an I have an opera gown. I mean, I can go Ooh, nuts. I will go nuts. I will get a squirrel and put it around my neck. Alive, I will have. <laughs> I will have fur. It will be magical. Awesome. Well, I can't wait for every. I can't wait for that. Every, everyone, join us. If you're not a patron and you are able to become one, please don't stretch yourself thin. These are hard times. But if you can, go to Patreon.com/slash/TheDailyBeans. Three bucks a month, you get these episodes ad free and early, and you get to go to the quarantine Q and A cocktail hours and and a ton of other bonus content. There's there's a lot uh, a lot going uh, on the for you know for patrons. So check it out. It's a really good deal. And again, only if you can afford it. If not, just I'm so glad you're listening. It's it's I love you guys so much. So. Um, uh, that that concludes the show for today. Thanks to Glenn Kirshner and thanks Jordan and thanks to Amanda for putting together the good news block. And everybody, please just take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. 
Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>